If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA Podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA Podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 323 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by Graham McDonald to talk about all the news in the world of mixed martial arts. And, you know, outside the world of mixed martial arts, the Olympics, the Euros, baseball, major champions and concerts are all happening this summer around the world. You know what isn't? A wild and hairy bush. Tame your pubes and help our friends at Manscaped. The listeners are with the help even of our friends at Manscaped, the, uh, the leaders uh, in below the waist grooming. The fourth generation performance package includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold? Fellas, do right by your balls and join the two million men worldwide that trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com with the code severe MMA for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, myself and Graham, we actually just got our 4.0 in through the door in the last couple of weeks and it's absolutely an upgrade on that. The world is starting to open up and the performance package 4.0 by Manscaped is here to help. Uh, inside you'll find our 4.0 as I mentioned, the Weed Whacker, uh, Ear and and Nora's hair trimmer, the crop preserver, ball deodorant, uh, the crop reviver toner, plus the two free gifts of the boxers and the travel bag, which are absolutely fantastic. Uh, talk about a world-class dismount into a post-quarantine world. This package is a perfect package for your package and peak performance in whatever sport you desire. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take the podium. The fourth generation trimmer features that cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology the 4.0 has 7000 rpm motor new on and off uh, switch to engage uh, with travel lock as well and it gives you ability to turn the 4000k led spotlight on and off when needed for more precise of a shave did i mention this trimmer is waterproof too absolutely is michael phelps is drooling just thinking about the possibilities the package also comes with a weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up in both your nose and your ears this tool is a lock to take home gold in the biathlon the weed whacker is also waterproof and uses 9000 rpm motor power 360 degrees uh rotary blade dual system this nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary i got the word right skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags 
thugs, the whole fucking lot. Uh, after trimming your pubes, show them some sportsmanship with Manscaped's liquid formulations, the pres- crop preserver, and the reviver, which are absolutely fantastic. Uh, Manscaped twin two free um, gifts, as I mentioned, their boxers and the travel bag. So go to manscaped.com, use the promo code SEVERE MMA, get 20% off and free shipping. That's a code SEVERE MMA, manscaped.com. Achieve your public glow. Right, let's uh, let's get straight into I suppose UFC two six five from uh, from last night. And I remember Graham, the last time we talked about Fran- uh, uh, Francis Ngano, <laughs> Francis Francis is actually the bread after last night because they they genuinely for a long time acted like he didn't yeah. exist. But yeah, <laughs> the second the second of the fight ended, I was thinking, oh, this this Ngano fight mm-hmm. is going to be amazing. <laughs> so I, I was my, thinking... my attention just immediately switched. Like I just forgot <laughs> yeah. about that fight. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Mine went to that, but it also went to the John Jones versus Ganya fight. Like, cause I, I, I was funny. Uh, I was pipe dreams. Yeah, fucking fairy tales, as Nick Diaz would say. <laughs> it was funny. Something came up on my um, my Facebook the other day where I put up like some status about Chael Sonnen or something back when I was a fan like ten years ago or something like that. And I was uh, one of my uh, one of my friends friends. I think Paul Lawler is his name from down in Wexford. We were talking about uh, d- different fights and different things, and I was like, John Jones will never be beat at light heavyweight he'll have, to, he'll have to go up and fight someone like an Overeem or the Dos Santos or someone like that you know back years and years ago to uh, to get tested at this weight class and I still feel like those questions exist you know I, I remember talking to um, I think it was Luke Thomas about Habib uh, before and saying like that Habib he could go and he could retire at lightweight, but like Habib has never really been tested against someone who is, you know, at the top of their game at the right time, who is of an equal to him maybe, and he can come through that and beat him. And yeah. he'd have well, to go the guy's to there if he that. wants. The guy's there if he wants him. You know, Usman's yeah. there. Maybe that's why he's not hasn't gone there. Maybe if it was like a a striking heavy uh, champion or upper echelon of the welterweight division, you know, maybe he would have been there a few years ago. Yeah, and and I think like that, and this is kind of obviously a little bit off topic, but like I feel like looking at Ganya, he, you know, t- contenders maybe at heavyweight have gone a little bit. You know, you had Stipe there, who I think Jones versus Stipe would have been a fun fight. I think a lot of people probably would have picked Jones in that, but even going back to the like of o- likes of Overeem and you know, obviously uh, you know Junior dos Santos and Ken Velasquez, and now Francis coming through. But to me, like. There's, there's always been like, the, could the, the power of Overeem or the boxing of the Santos trouble him or whatever. But I feel like Ganya is the first fighter I've seen where like the all round skill set over five rounds could beat John Jones. If you know what I mean? Like, I think maybe, you know, someone, if they had unbelievable wrestling at heavyweight or you know, maybe Kevin Velasquez could have pushed push him against a cage and pushed the pace at him for five rounds. But I feel like on the outside striking, Sil Gagne could give John Jones a fight. Like, that's how good he is. That's how much I read him. And like, after, uh, as I mentioned there, after his last fight, we talked about Gagne and we were like, discussing whether he was the next um, era of heavyweights or the next uptake of heavyweights you know um and i think he is i really really do think he is now can you might go out in his next fight and you might get knocked out by francis yeah Gano, that's the know. thing you know i think we we kind of knew that he was going to beat all these guys up yeah. until you know can he do this can he stay safe enough against mm. 
Francis and you know based on that Derek Lewis fight he basically never didn't he basically never got hit in the whole fight uh, flush uh, he got a couple of small things but nothing nothing really nothing concerning nothing to make him change what he was doing and you know if he can do that against Ngannou then you know you could be in for a long reign uh, for Ghana at the as a heavyweight champion and you don't really say that no, but the- at heavyweight because it doesn't really happen but yeah. you know Francis Ngannou is a serious hitter and he doesn't need to hit you clean he can hit you half and you're on Queer Street and then he can put you away so you know it's it's an amazing fight if it uh, when it happens, if it happens, you never and, know in MMA. Yeah, the re- and you, I think you hit the nail on the head there because, like, the reason we the last time we talked about, you know, this next level of heavyweight fighter. Like, I feel like, say, if you go from the likes of, uh, I don't know, the, the lighter fighters in the early days. Let's say someone like Uriah Faber to someone like uh, a Max Holloway or even an Aldo or, or you know Volkanovski these days. I think that Uriah Faber, don't get me wrong, a fantastic fighter, but his level of ability versus someone like a Volkanovski is day and night. You know, it's just hugely different. And I feel like heavyweight, uh, it, it has had some very good fighters, don't get me wrong, but it hasn't had, I feel like, that all-round technical uptake like the other divisions. And, you know, there might be many reasons well, for that. Exception of Tank Abbott. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the exception of a few. But like the fact that someone like a Derek Lewis, who has obviously improved an awful lot technically and in different areas over the last years, but is still very limited. You know, uh, Daniel Carmen even said that in the broadcast himself last night. Someone who has who has fought him and thinks a lot of him. Uh, that shows where the heavyweight division is and what it takes to be successful in the heavyweight division or what you know what you maybe not what it takes but what if you don't necessarily need to be successful in the heavyweight division you can still be a limited fighter at heavyweight and get to a certain level now you can in other ways if you're absolutely elite but i don't think anyone would call Derek lewis elite at maybe anything he's just kind of found his way but for Ganya. There's, there's nothing really he doesn't look elite at. The strength of him last night, I couldn't get over. His technical ability in the clinch even more than the strength. I, uh, I didn't even think he had to use the strength, yeah. I think it was yeah, more just making the right decisions really quickly and, you know, technically doing them correctly and just always making the right decision in the fight, it seems. Yeah, and like... It, you, you know, sometimes I'd be watching fights, and even us together. I remember before when we were like at the old Bam events or whatever, we'd be kind of half commentating on fights together, watching them. You'd be saying like, "Oh, underhook, underhook here," and you'd be even Dominic Cruz listening to him and other lads as well. Can you just does it? You know, sometimes you know you'd be watching her, and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast as well is kind of like, "Oh, get this underhook," because we've heard it for the last fucking however long you've been watching him uh, for us to, I don't know, what ten or twelve years, or whatever it might be, or a little bit longer. Can you just does that? quicker than maybe any heavyweight ever as well and you know we could get into the strike and we could get into everything like that but that ability last night was really something that stood out to me against someone like Lewis who in his last few fights has been better in the clinch and has been landing those shots you know the the, the Torres fight earlier in the night they mentioned uh, about how Derek Lewis was dangerous in those positions because he was kind of throwing those bungalows out over the top but in those clinch positions it was Ganya winning he was throwing those knees he was just being nasty in that position and I feel like if you add that to his unbelievable athleticism his power in his hands as well which he showed off last night his technique his kicks his composure oh, as well that brilliant. can't be forgotten yeah what you what did you think of that composure actually because that's a big part of it I actually thought he was maybe wasn't a little bit 
uh, maybe he could have been a little bit more composed. Like when he had Gan or when he had Lewis even hurt at the end, he went a bit too far and he got caught with a couple. Did you think he was he went uh, overboard a little bit? Um, I, at the time I thought the ref was kind of about to stop it though, so I I know what he was doing. You know, we've seen so many times where that situation you just kind of throw a few and then the ref just pulls you off, and it seemed like Lewis was, you know, on the verge of kind of. You know, uh, having the fight stop for not for not fighting back when the ref was talking to him. So, you know, uh, I think maybe, yeah, maybe in hindsight, but at the time, you know, most in most situations like that, a flurry will will be the end when the ref's getting that close and talking to the the opposition fighter that much. Yeah, do you know what? As well, I was impressed by because he did that. Like normally, I would say. Uh, in that position, I think he did go a little bit too quick and too over. But like, if that was Francis Ngannou, he probably would have been knocked out in that position. I think so. That's something he needs to uh, he needs to improve on because Lewis did catch him a couple of times. But I think Gagne had in his mind that you know his last few fights, he's had a few decisions and things like that. And I have been ultra impressed by him, and I think other people have as well. But. There's a lot of people, you know, after that last podcast we did, as we mentioned, talking about his ability. A lot of people were saying, ah, oh, he's just a decision merchant and he's not, you know, as good as he makes out and he's too safe. But last night he, he showed he has maybe the want to finish fights, but also, like, he will take that opportunity when handed it. And that's something you not only need at heavyweight, but you need as, like, a Dana White implied, well, not implied, but a Dana White paid, I suppose, badly, uh, <laughs> fighter or heavyweight fighter especially. Um, and that in that spot on the, you know, heavyweight title fight and the main event of a pay-per-view to go out and get that finish, I think, means something, and especially over someone like Derek Lewis, who, uh, as Chael Sonnen said last night, has never been knocked out, even though he has, like, <laughs> like four times. But uh, to, to do it against never Derek been Lewis... Finished. Never been knocked out. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah, I think it was uh, an absolutely phenomenal performance by uh, by Ganya and uh, an absolutely great win. Uh, if, if you haven't seen the fight or if you're just kind of waking up uh, today and, uh, well, it's a bit late now, so I hope you're awake a while. Um, the fight overall, it was one of those fights where Ganya was literally just, you know, you could nearly listen to our preview and <laughs> hear exactly what happened in the fight. Ganya was on the outside, just picking him off, picking him off, picking him off. <clears throat> and it was one of those where Lewis didn't look as dangerous, maybe, as you expected. Um, I think he landed one shot in the whole of the first round. And they showed a graphic, like, halfway through the second round, and he'd only landed two shots. So it was just... The, the second round, we had that clinch, and we had the elbow over the top from Gagne as well. Uh, and it, it was just in the third, there was, like, a couple of eye pokes and a kick to the balls and stuff as well, but... It felt like Lewis was trying a bit harder, but the harder he tried, the more he got picked off, and the kind of <clears throat> the easier it became for Cyril Gagne uh, to win the fight. And in the end, he just kind of hurt him a few times. Lewis acted like he had kind of got an eye poke, maybe to try to save himself a little bit, which you know I appreciate that kind of you know stuff. But maybe he had just got hit really hard to the eye, and maybe. He, hurt his eye sock or something so maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong there but whatever happened anyway it was definitely a punch and he definitely got hurt um and you know that that was kind of after Ganya got drawn in a little bit because he could see that lewis was hurt and he was falling around the place and he upped the up the strikes uh, stats i suppose and up the punching rate and he landed those left hands against the cage from Ganya against uh, lewis were 
insane watching them it was like oh god almighty this guy he's not just uh, this technical brawler this guy is a is a brute as well you know and he will hurt you when given the opportunity and uh he got the he got the finish in the end but um it was some performance really not the, the thing about it is though I was thinking like this morning when when I just wa- woke up and was thinking about what we were going to be saying in the fight or about the fight. It was, uh, and I don't know if you'd agree with me, Graham. I think it was a less impressive win than Rosenstruck or Vol- Volkov, just because he had to kind of get through something a little bit more technical in those fights. Now he had to get something da- through something dangerous in, in Lewis, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast here, which will maybe be a good setup for for a Francis Ngannou, but in a different way. But Lewis is one of those guys where he's a very good fighter and we have given him his credit over the last while. Don't don't get me wrong at all, but someone as good as Cyril Gagne is never going to have trouble with Derek Lewis, are they? Uh but he did make it he did make it look easy work. But it, uh, it was it was a handy enough win for him in the end, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think maybe there's something to be said for kind of what you touched on earlier about, you know, there's a bit, a little bit of backlash, not backlash, but a little bit of criticism uh, of playing it too safe the last time. And it looked like it was kind of heading that way. And it looked like there was some kind of switch. I'm not sure if he thought that he hurt Lewis or he was told in his corner to go for it, but he, he seemed to kind of, you know, uh, left fly more than he did in the in, in previous fights and you know obviously it's it's for a title and it's in, in a main event and a, and a and a pay-per-view and all that stuff and you know uh lewis kind of was damaged from leg kicks from from body work from from just being dominated everywhere basically and not really having any out to uh you know when it's demoralizing when there's no oh I, if, if you're a wrestler you say oh if i just get this takedown then I can kind of withstand this, but if you're just getting beaten everywhere, it seemed to demoralize Lewis and maybe Gagne sensed that. And, you know, that was why he upped it and went for the finish. But I think maybe there was something in there where he went out with the intention. There was an intention there to finish it and not to go to a decision. And maybe that is, you know, trying to make a statement as one of the best in the world uh, at the weight, obviously, or maybe it's a thing of, you know, trying to shut up the people who are, who are saying that he played it plays it too safe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, a hundred percent. I think this was a good opportunity to do it. I think against someone like a Derek Lewis, but uh, yeah, like he know, could have easily like it looked like he was going to yeah. just pick him off for the the whole five rounds, and it was going to be a completely dominant decision. And it looked like it was going that way, and it could have easily gone that way if he wanted to. That would probably would have been the safest way, as you said. Lewis had his best kind of moments, even though he was he was hurt in 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 the flurries by. Uh, by Cyril so yeah uh, I think there was a conscious decision there to go to not play it as safe as maybe before yeah and now obviously you have the he's the interim champion if him fighting Francis Ngannou as the champion I thought I don't know if you heard it Dana White during the week was like oh this is going to be like an old school IBF versus WBO or whatever it was uh, you know a unification bout and I was I was thinking about that look a UFC unification bout is fun because sometimes the interim belt is needed and you know say like a Dominic Cruz back in the day or you know and I know it did not happen with Dominic Cruz in the end because of the injuries but say like Brock Lesnar fighting was it Shane Carr when he fought with the interim belt but it's you know sometimes it can be it can be cool and it can be great uh, and I'm not as as against interim belts as other people but when you bring in boxing belts to try to promote MMA 
and c- compare them. It's maybe the most idiotic thing you could possibly do as an MMA promoter. MMA fans for three decades now have been trying not to be like boxing. We do not want belts like boxing. We do not want champion versus champion versus champion in the same weight class. Now, we might want champion versus champion from different weight classes, but this is not a thing that you and, uh, look it's a thing we want to see we want to see this great fight but it's not a comparison we want to make and i'm i'm actually surprised like dana white uh, you know we can talk a lot about dana white and his his issues but to make to say something that stupid was actually i think a little bit surprising but however um that uh, but as i always say I, the fairy tales don't matter the belts don't matter it's the fight and francis Ngannou versus cyril Gagne. i know we touched on it earlier but i feel like it's one of those fights where we can, I can, I can build up Ganya all I want and talk about him as that next level of MMA fighter at heavyweight all I want, but when you have that bulldozer coming at you and you have one of the most athletic and quick and powerful men on planet Earth coming at you, it's not gonna be that easy. And he's big and long and as well, so jabbing him up on the outside and coming in and out won't be that easy against Francis Ngannou. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, yeah. I I think he'll have to work in some of those leg kicks to try and you know take the the sting out of Ngannou's punches and you know trying to clinch with him. He's going to have to be very kind of smart and technical in this fight. You know, he's going to have to play it safe. He's going to have to go back to maybe what he was criticized for. But uh, like, if you beat Francis Ngannou in any way, I don't think you're you're going to be criticized. And everybody knows how unbelievably dangerous he is with his hands. So yeah. this you know this fight could go either way. Like you know. Uh, Obviously, uh, Cyril is the more technical fighter, but like that big power in both hands just equalizes everything. Yeah, I, I right now I think Francis can all win. I just I don't know. I just think it's he's been he's too improved and too too hard not to get hit by. I think is the uh, the very very uh, layman's suppose, way of of saying it. But I I would I would rather see Ganya versus John Jones as a fight. To be honest, I I just think that'd be fantastic, and I'd I'd love to see John Jones versus Ngannou. I just have him around Robin between those three lads. I'd be I'd be quite happy and trust Deep into the mix as well. But uh, yeah, there's some really really big fights ahead, and. Uh, I uh, I kind of said it last year. I was I don't know where I was and like which division are you kind of most jacked about? And I think I said heavyweight at the time. And like I don't think there's any division in the UFC at the moment with the exciting fights or the the prospect of such fantastic fights as heavyweight. Like uh, all the ones I just mentioned: are Ganya versus Inganu, Ganu versus Jones, Jones versus Ganya. Imagine Stipe versus Ganya. I think that'd be a fantastic fight. Or Stipe versus Jones, or you know, there's, and I'm sure there's another few people coming up as well. Like so, like someone like a Tam Aspinall will be looking at Ganya as well and see the way he's risen, you know. And also as well, we also we always make a point about the matchmaking in the UFC and them going too quickly and everything like that. And the vast majority majority of the time it doesn't work out right but this is why they do it and no we've, we've mentioned this before but they do it to get a star like this to produce someone like Ganya who gets to 9 or 10 and all whatever he is and he is a champion and he is right at the very top and young in the sport that's why they do it you know they did the same with Weidman against uh, Anderson Silva back in the day but this this is the reason they throw you to the wolves to see if you can live with them 
and if you if you can beat him, very few fighters can. But Cyril Gagne is one of them who absolutely can, and you know yeah. he is. Uh, he well, is to, to make him to make a star, do you think? Like, do you think this pay per view is going to do really good numbers? No, no but no, I don't think so. Yeah. Do you think like if if Cyril Gagne had another couple of another three or four really nice wins or finishes or big spots, or co-main event to a to a Dustin Poirier McGregor fight last whatever last month you know something yeah. like that that would have been because then that Francis Ngannou for us Francis Ngannou for us against uh, Cyril is a huge exciting uh, fight like we're obviously looking forward to it but to the, to the casual are, are they are they th- do they know Cyril I'm not sure yeah uh, yeah that's a fair point but I also think this this card it had two big issues. It just came, what is it, a month or is it two months after the, the McGregor a month, I think, after the McGregor fight. Um, and it also lost Amanda Nunes, who is undoubtedly you know, one of the biggest stars in the sport at the moment. So that's a big yeah, issue. Yeah, so I suppose they card. did try to kind of put uh, put uh, Cyril as a co-main event under, um, obviously, <laughs> well, one of, no, one he, of would, them. He, he would have been the main event. Amanda Nunes is going to be the co-main event, which was... Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Ridiculous. And <laughs> when it's an interim title. And the, the interim title, I don't think, helps as well, because... You know, they put a, they put an interim title. We we spoke about that before for whatever reason they have, but I don't think it. Fools Maybe it was the fans. just so they could put it as the main event. Yeah, because what was. was it? I saw a style like one hundred and thirty days since the Nganu defended yeah. his belt or fought for the belt. So yeah, it's a bit. Uh, yeah, I saw, uh, yeah, I saw some people said it was like the most ridiculous whatever, but did I forget that? The whole Jose Aldo, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway thing, where the same day Jose Aldo was given the featherweight belt, uh, or won, was it won the featherweight belt, whatever, anyway, Max Holloway versus Pettis was made for the interim belt at the, <laughs> the exact same day. I was like, what? What's going on here? There was two new belts all at the same day, but yeah, whatever. Uh, look, I'm looking forward to those, that merry-go-round of fights anyway, and uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um so yeah, let's move on to the the rest of the card. Speaking of Jose Aldo, speaking of Aldo, yeah, <laughs> God Almighty, just this guy—he never gets old, you know. I, I, and it was nice to see as well Conor McGregor tweeting last night. You know, Jose Aldo is a real legend, and you know, I, I love Aldo, I really do. And I think a lot of real Irish MMA fans really love Aldo as well because they don't like the shit that went on in the whole McGregor build-up. And I think, do you know what? I think McGregor even kind of agrees. You can say what you want about him, but I I think he would agree as well because I think he has great respect for Jose Aldo, you know, as a fighter. But straight after stuff. he knocked him out, he said, you know, you deserve better. We deserve to go longer, all that yeah. stuff. He, he was slightly disappointed yeah. <laughs> for Aldo. I, I, Obviously, I, I, he was ecstatic for himself, but you could see that yeah. he was like, ah, Aldo didn't deserve this. Like, I, I hate that Jose Aldo's legacy is... Is not not just Conor McGregor, but is that loss? You know, yeah. I I hate that because he's such a great fighter. What was it, nine to ten years unbeaten before that? Um, just the, the, he's a you know destructions of Chad Mendes and Frankie Edgar and all of those people on the way up, and even after the McGregor fight, what he did to uh, Frankie mm-hmm. Edgar again, just an insanely good fighter in all areas, exciting. You know, we talk about leg kicks now these days, like Jose Aldo's leg kicks back in the day were just madness altogether. And he's, it seems like he's become a, a new fighter again in, in certain ways. He's less, obviously less kick heavy, which he hasn't been for a few years. But I think more kind of straight up boxing than he once was and less of that Mai Tai front leg stance where he's, you know, kind of lifting that leg a bit. He does a bit of it, obviously, but... Uh, I, I just thought he was really good. And you know what? I, I thought Munoz actually fought pretty well as well in this fight. Didn't make it easy for Aldo. But uh, 
He was just good. He, he, there's no signs yeah. of Aldo ages. Wasn't, you know, if Munoz went in there as somebody who doesn't have the same experience and composure of Aldo, like he would, what he was doing would have caused a lot more problems for him. Aldo just, you know, he's been around the block many times. You know, he's he's uh, he, he's just so well-rounded throughout his career and he, he's just kind of seen it all. And Munoz did have a good game plan, I think. You know, he came in there and, as you said, made it difficult for him. Threw a lot of uh, strikes at him. Threw a lot of leg kicks at Aldo, you know, uh, Try to try to kind of you know uh, fluster him, but it, it just wasn't happening. Aldo was just uh, composed and just picking him apart. And as the fight went on, he started, I think, picking him apart even more. And uh, you know, uh, Aldo mixed in a, when he like you know he used to mix in a lot of leg kicks, but when he mixes in leg kicks now, they're they're kind of maybe you know uh, harder than he used to throw more, but he throws them harder and kind of chooses them more wisely now. You know, sometimes you think, oh, he should mix in a few more leg kicks here, but I, uh, I don't know what the reasoning behind him, him not do, not doing that is. But he, as you said, he's kind of developed as um, he's kind of developed a new game plan. Maybe it's to do with he used to always be fighting five rounds, and you can kind of put leg kicks in the bank, and you know they'll, they'll stand here later in the fight. But uh, you know, <laughs> throughout the years, he's he's kind of in the WBC days he was basically the most well-rounded fighter in the sport you know people were t- talking about his takedown defense being the best in the sport we were talking about how he how he'd look against Habib and stuff I think I think now if we look back at that maybe it wouldn't have been um it wouldn't have been a good matchup for Aldo but uh you know dropping the 135 when he did it I thought maybe was a kind of desperation move and that might be spell the end for his career but he like he's actually looked really good there I think um you know could he like go into a title shot and win it? I think he he wouldn't be he wouldn't be the favorite. But would I be that surprised if he if he did? No, I wouldn't be that surprised. So you know he's 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 kept it up at the very top for a lot of years, and I think hopefully you know he can as you mentioned, hopefully he can be remembered for all of these things and how well rounded and how dominant he was and kind of all this stuff instead of just you know being knocked out in thirteen seconds. Yeah, I, I think uh, some great points there. I think three round Aldo, as you mentioned, <laughs> three round Aldo is just a different beast because you know in the past he has had a few issues with maybe not necessarily cardio issues, but going long and I think that what was that one fight? It was like one of his first UFC Mark ones. Hominick. That was again. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, Hominick. Uh, he was dominating the fight and kind of uh, it ended with him kind of tired on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And people kind of always talk about that. But I think that's the only real kind of time we saw that. Yeah, I think the Yan fight a little bit, but I think that was mostly Yan, though the work he did in it. But I. <laughs> I, I think Aldo fights a lot differently as a three-year-old fighter. And, you know, we've discussed that loads of times with different fighters on the podcast. And we will, again, with Fizayev, I think, uh, later on here. But he... The ability... and Usually, Aldo, when he's fighting three-round fights, he actually starts very quickly and keeps going in, the, in that pace because he knows he can go for three rounds. Um... This time I thought he actually kind of worked his way into the fight and got better. He was, I think he was better in the second round than the first. I think he was better in the third round than he was in the second. It was one of those ones where he really... And, you know, you can give Munoz credit for that as well. But I think Aldo's jab and just the redness on Munoz's face. In a, in, you know, those first two rounds were close. That, that is a kind of a game changer when you see one guy and he's not really eating that many shots and you see the other guy, okay, he's had a few, but his face is all reddened up and you can see that damage. And for the judges, you know, damage is in the scoring criteria. If you can see that damage in someone's face and the effect it has on them, 
you know that scores and Feraldo really did last night but um yeah he's such just such a great fighter and I, I think the thing about Aldo as well you know everyone's kind of shocked by how young he is but obviously in in fighting years he is a little bit older but he hasn't taken that much damage throughout the years apart from maybe say the McGregor fight obviously where he took the heavy knockout and a couple of Holloway fights in the Yan fight as well but when you know you save that big damage for big big title fights you know it's it, yeah, it, when you're looking at kind of three or four or five fights yeah. where you took damage out of 37, it's, it's yeah. not too bad. If, if you're taking it in 15 of them and you go through the title fights grand, you're, it's probably worse. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, you have a certain amount and you can only take a certain amount, but Aldo hasn't taken that much. I know he's taken a, a lot of damage in certain fights, but throughout his whole career, you know, even though he probably has as much fight time as most people in the UFC or more than uh, anyone nearly, I'd say, apart from maybe a Frank Edgar and a Cerrone or someone like that, he's a lot of it. Um, he, he is still good for it and he, can, he still has his chin. And that chin to recover as well. You know, Bisping talked about that before, the Henderson fight where his chin recovered and just looked as good as ever after it. Aldo's chin has looked as good as ever as well after the heavy, heavy McGregor knockout. Um, so I suppose... Th- I don't know, is that down to him or just look maybe and or maybe not having taken too much damage before it. But uh yeah, he just looks really, really good. And when Aldo decides kind of not to get hit on fights, it's a sight to behold because he moves that head back and sometimes he looks like he's getting hit, but you could see him just like slipping out of it and he's immediately back into his normal fighting stance again. So I, I will always love watching Jose Aldo. I think a lot of Irish people especially love Aldo because of, you know, this bullshit with that, that sign above in Dublin where selling mattresses and shit. I did not like that. I, I You know, Jose Aldo deserves more respect from that. And every time I see, no disrespect, to, no disrespect to Pedro Munoz, but every time I see Jose Aldo win, I'm a little bit happy, to be honest. Uh, and uh, fair play to him. And look, he's moving on. I'd love to see him fight Dominic Cruz next. What, what fight would you... you know, there, I know there was a few of them going around. They're talking about... Dillashaw and uh, Santagan and different ones. I, I think the Cruz fight is one. If those two lads didn't fight, I think it'd kind of be a shame. What, what fight would you like to see next for him? Well, to be honest, I'd like to see him fight Dillashaw because I think if he wins that, he's in. He's into the obviously the title shot. Um, uh, and I'd like to see him have another crack at it before you know another crack at the title before maybe it's too late. You know, it's, it might be now or never for him. Yeah. Um, it, and, you it, know, if he goes in there Aljo. If he goes in there against Aljo, you know that's a that's a fight he could easily win. Yeah. Not easily win, but it's a fight that he, you know, he's not completely outmatched in, and that there's uh, methods of victory for him there. So, I'd like to see him get one more, you know, crack at the at get, getting the title back. Yeah. Uh, I know, kind of like you, where it's uh, I do have a soft spot for him. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Jose, let's do it. Uh, right, Vicente uh, Luque against Michael Keza. You called this one. You you said. Uh, this is Luke had win it and what <laughs> like this the second yeah, um, if you can just defend the Rennick a joke you're all good it's his finishing manoeuvre he's like a he's like a WWE uh, competitor or something but yeah, yeah. like he re- he's reversed the, the stunner and then you're okay <laughs> yeah that's it uh, I like Luke I was doing obviously well on the feet and midway through the round Keza got that takedown and he got it so easily I was like oh well this fight is maybe not over but this fight is going the way I expected it I thought Chiesa would win by his wrestling. But when Luke, like Luke, I thought was very open on the ground and was trying to move an awful lot because I think he realized I can't get stuck underneath here and keep getting stuck underneath here. And, you know, the, obviously Chiesa moves very well on the ground and took the back. 
um, had it was a neck crank at first, I think, and I was like, well, he's not going to finish that against someone like Luca, how, how good Luca is, and he did push it off. But the next one, I thought he was in, uh, but Luca did a great job again. He survived. He got out of it, um, and in the next transition from that, obviously caught him in the uh, in the choke. Was it? A, I can't remember. Was it an anaconda? Or, no, it was a Dars choke, wasn't it? Yeah, Dars. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It seemed like Keza just kind of didn't respect it at the very start. Um, oh. And then all of a sudden it was too late. Yeah. Like Luca is one of those lads where he's just so well-rounded. You'd, you'd almost forget it because he's obviously, you know, lost to Wonderboy and had other losses as well. You'd forget how good of a fighter he actually is. Uh, I don't know. We spoke about it last week and you picked him, obviously. And I didn't, I by no means ruled him out here. But to, to submit Michael Chiesa like that, who's so good on the ground, uh, that, that was one that kind of surprised me a little bit. And that was a little bit of a game changer for Luca because we've seen in these last few fights how dangerous he is on the feet uh but to be that dangerous as well on the ground i think is uh you know and we've seen it from him before you know he's a, by no means a mug on the ground or anything like that don't get me wrong but uh to do it at this level at the very top level you know people talking about Chiesa getting a title shot and he almost did get one apparently against usman there in, in the last year or so so you know brilliant by vicente luca and he's be, he'll be pushing on now towards the, the top of that division he called out Cameron Usman last night I don't think he'll get that obviously Usman is fighting Covington next uh, in uh, what is it is it next month or the month after so not too far away but you know the likes of uh, Gilbert Burns was actually in his corner last night so I don't know if he'll be fighting Gilbert Burns uh, but Leon, I think Leon Edwards versus Vicente Luque is, is a good fight to make now Stephen Thompson is still ranked at number 4 ahead of him and obviously he has the win over Luque so you know maybe that's a rematch you may but I would nearly keep him away from Wonderboy, especially because Wonderboy lost his last fight. As much as it pains me, as much as I want to see Wonderboy getting back into uh, title contention, I think maybe you have a little bit of something with Luke, or you know, you might have something with Leon Edwards. Put the two of them together, have that fight, and the winner fights uh, for the winner for the title. But I don't know. I feel like Edwards is trying to kind of sit out and get that. Uh, and the perfect fight then would be Burns, but the fact that Burns is his corner man, you know, it's unlikely to happen. So there is a bit of uh, there is a bit of a stalemate maybe there at the top of that division as there has been for a while. But uh, you know, hopefully the Usman and Covington fight will uh, will maybe adjust some of that and, and move it on. Uh, is there anyone that stands out to you who'd like to fight see Luca fight next or just anyone? Um, yeah, uh, you know, he, he, as you as we said on the betting show, he's a, he's a maybe a more well-rounded fighter than than um, he gets credit for. But I think you know if he goes up against the likes of of an Usman or a, a Covington, with that wrestling that he showed against Kiesa, it, it's very bad news. So I do think you know um, the Leon Edwards fight probably does make sense for for, for Leon Edwards. Though he probably be in the position of like, why am I? for the last three years fighting these guys that are ranked below me he's talked about it for years and years about getting that fight so he might be reluctant to take it but it, it'll be an exciting fight and you know it doesn't really do much for Edwards but if but if Luke can win that it definitely kind of propels him into the into more into the conversation but mm-hmm. it's for Edwards I don't really see the upside yeah that is true I think that'll be a hard one to make in fairness but probably the right one to make but you know the right ones aren't often made in MMA these days um, Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill uh, Torres really had this all her own way for two rounds uh, I thought Hill won the third but it was very very close there really wasn't much in it um, not much really to say about this Torres was just landing the big shots over the top she was quicker inside just picking off Hill, good head. Yeah. yeah. It, 
uh, this look unexpected like, nearly <laughs> yeah it looked like the old angela hill though i thought angela had improved but she wasn't using her jab that well wasn't using her lint that well i know it's tough against torres because she's she's very good and very quick and she fought her you know like an atom wet fighting the straw wet uh which is absolutely what she should do but i, I expected a little bit more from angela hill but yeah not not you know, not her best performance and a very, very good performance on Torres. Torres is another one I think I have a little bit of a soft spot for just because that this is really not her division and she kind of bulks up to make that division. I think it hurts her at times yeah. as well. But uh, And she was on a four-fight skid. It seemed like it was all going pear-shaped yeah. for her and she's really turned it around and, you know... Uh, you know, obviously Angela Hill isn't isn't the the best fighter, but she, as you said, kind of made her look like the old uh, Angela Hill with kind of a lot of air punching and kind of made her run out of ideas. And uh, you know, Angela Hill's corner were calling for her in the third round to to go for takedowns, and you kind of you could see that that's kind of a, a desperation all around. They, they they ran out of ideas, and that's all credit to Tisha Torres. Yeah, hundred percent. And the opener in Song Yudong versus Casey Kenny, not not. It was a good fight, but I think Yadong was just a little bit ahead in all three rounds, to be honest. And you know, the split way, decision, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't that Your shocked boy. by the split decision, to be honest. But we we are in Texas, so don't forget about that. To be honest, <laughs> the decisions. Don't forget about that. Yeah, but like Texas, there's a lot of lads that you know do one. There was one lad here who has done three UFC events in eleven years or something like that. And I don't think they got one wrong, to be honest. Now I would openly criticize Texas. No problem because they are shit but uh, i think they got all the decisions right here they got there was a couple of weird rounds to, especially uh what was it the first round oh i don't know i tweeted about it last night i think it was a miles john fight maybe no no what fight was it it was the gato fight yeah she was on bottom for that first round and um definitely won it and one judge gave it against her but however but uh yeah the, the, the yadong fight most notable for me getting a dick joke on the ufc broadcast i was like yadong you start what was it you done came hard at the start or something like that like, they put it on the broadcast i actually could not believe it how did you not they must have they must have assumed that you were a serious yeah. credible journalist and <laughs> no, not making dick yeah, jokes but probably yeah. wrong they were completely wrong you know what happens when you assume graham you make a fucking ass of you and me or a dick of you and me in this case but uh yeah i was i was looking at the i was actually in shock when it came up i was like what the fuck uh but that's my claim to fame now getting a dick joke on uh on national pay-per-view or international pay-per-view even but um yeah good look a good performance from yadong anyway and uh casey kenny you know casey kenny a lot of people were, I, I listened to uh the uh, uh a bit of the press conference and he kept going doing this like thing throughout it and people i think hated that and now don't like casey kenny anymore so probably not a good thing to do and uh you know uh a performance it was an okay performance a good performance but you know just better um this fizzaya versus green fight there's a lot to take away from this first things i would take away from it is we talked about five rounds earlier if fizzaev is to become the lightweight champion or a lightweight contender or a lightweight main event uh, fighter he is going to have to adjust things because he cannot fight at the pace he fought in the first two rounds in this over five rounds no he can if he knocks a guy out in the first you know is it even minutes. the pace or is it throwing too hard into like 90 percent of his strikes if he does calm down a little and through maybe with a bit more composure 
it felt like he Bobby Green it wasn't even that Bobby Green drew drew him in. I think he went into the fight trying to out Bobby Green, Bobby Green. And yeah, now, well, he started talking. Bobby Green started yeah. talking. He and Fizayev just started talking, 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 and it's, uh, it's just like oh, this is this is what Bobby Green wants. He just just let him do his talking and punch him in the face. You know, it, it's the best way to do. We've seen the blueprint before. Yeah, but as you said, like you know, I think we you know maybe need to slow the roll a little bit on Fizayev's talk of being the next champion. I noticed it, like nobody's calling for it right now but he definitely has some some things to prove you know he he went he won this fight pretty clearly uh in my cards but it was a little bit more competitive than it, maybe it should have been uh and could have been if he had been a bit more relaxed and composed in there and as you said he as you hinted at he kind of tired out as the as the fight went on as well and you know obviously when you're fighting five rounds you'll you'll game plan for that and stuff as well but it, it'd be nice to see him kind of you know go in there and get three full rounds in without getting tired before we kind of put them into five round fights yeah I thought I thought it was a relatively close fight I think the 3027 was a, a bad card here because I think Green definitely won the third round because Fizev got really really tired but yeah I think it is one of those fights where you will look back on it maybe and if he analyzes it properly and realizes what he did wrong maybe throughout it could really move him on as an MMA fighter and uh, change his career in a lot of ways and without even having to take a, a loss so um yeah, I think it was good for him in that way. And I thought I thought Bobby Green fought well as well, to be honest. Um, I think Fizayev, you know, Bobby Green is a unique fighter and he won't be fighting someone like that again. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what he's going for. And we've seen him before and he obviously looked very, very good. But, yeah, I, I just don't think he's stuck to being himself as much in this fight as he has in previous fights. And he still got through it, so it was okay. But I thought the first round was, was relatively close. I did give it to Fizayev. I gave him the second as well. Uh, but the uh, the third, uh, I definitely gave to Green. And, you know, those, those body kicks and stuff... You think they would pay off later in the fight, but when you're, you know, smashing someone with body kicks like that, and you're the one getting tired uh, in the third round, you know, we talk about accumulative damage and, and it paying off for you late in the fight. Well, it didn't really pay off for uh, for uh, Rafael or Rafael Fizayev here, but um, you know, I'm sure in, in future it will. Um, the other cards in the fight, we'll run through them very quickly here. Vince Morales, Draco Rodriguez. I just, man, I just tuned out of this one. The PFL fucking uh, prelim broke out in the middle of a UFC card here. I know what this was doing here. Uh, Alonzo Minifield, Ed Herman made tough work of it, to be honest, uh, even though he was kind of dominant throughout it. But I think someone like Alonzo Minifield should be beating uh, someone like Smiling Ed Herman a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit more clearly or, or maybe even finish. <laughs> finish oh, all all those gingers look the same. You know, you know how it is. <laughs> all the same. All the very same. But uh, yeah, Jessica Pinney, I think she looked fantastic against Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Got the arm, arm bar, arm, arm bar, arm bar in this one. But um, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Right, I didn't think Pinney had this in her anymore, and I was. Uh, well, sort of if wrong. people are just tuning in for like the first time to the podcast, they're yeah. just like, "What? What is what? wrong with this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was. I think I just moved to a different octave there. I've never hit before. But poor old Carolina. What's this five in the spin now? Someone made a Star Trek joke. She's lost seven of nine in uh, in this, which I would not get as a non nerd. But however, uh, I think it's probably uh, 
the end of the road in the UFC anyway for Kovalkiewicz. But if she wants to go back to you know fighting Poland, I'm sure KSW and other people would absolutely love to have her. Um, and she's uh, you know, uh, is, there, is her contract up or you just think yeah, they're going to cut her? She's like, is it four or five in a row? Let me just pull up her, her record here. She's last, you know, one, two, three, a five in a row. It's a lot. It's a lot. I, I, I don't think the UFC are going to keep her around at that. So, yeah, it's um, it's a difficult one. Unfortunate for her. Um, but anyway. Then, but Pinay moving on. That's Strawweight Division. There's some fun fights for her there as well. So, I'm looking forward to seeing her next one. Um, Manel Cape. Um, beautiful flying knee and punches. A great stoppage as well by the referee. I think a few people are like, oh, is this a good well, stoppage? I think that? he got too close and backed away he, did, he needed yeah. to be a little bit more decisive but I think the time of the stoppage was okay but his great, actual yeah. actions during the stoppage were questionable yeah I, I would 100% agree with that yeah he was like when uh, Osborne got knocked down you could see immediately he was hurt badly but at that point you want to see like the arms coming up or some sort of defense or him moving to his hip or doing something but there was two shots after that that Cape landed and there was no defense and no movement at all. And he did move after that, obviously, because he'd been hit and maybe woken up a little bit. But once that stops, did you, I agree 100% with you. The referee, look, the, the issue there, the referee was in the wrong position. But it, at that point, if you're in the wrong position, you still have to fucking stop the point, the fight. You know, you still can't let that guy take more damage. So you just put yourself in there. You just smash into him and stop that fucking fight. And that, he did that in fairness. So I'll give him absolute credit for that. Now I will take away from him a little bit because the positioning wasn't great and because he kind of fell into him. He went a bit Kevin McDonald on it. But um, yeah, it, w- it was a well-timed stoppage, but not well done maybe. So yeah, I, w- I would uh, I would agree with that. But Cape, you know, missed weight here, obviously, unfortunately. Um, uh, but look good. Well, there's some stock going around a few weeks ago about if you miss weight by three pounds or more, you're like ninety percent, ninety percent win rate or something, something along those lines. If you, I think if you miss by like one or two, it's like it's completely different. But if three or more, apparently you're you're basically a banker to win the fight. If I was a fighter, I'd be wanting my opponent to miss weight. I'd be like, give me that extra fucking ten and twenty percent. Like, what? But if you, yeah, but if you, if you end up winning the fight, you get a lot more money. Yeah, so mm. doesn't make that much difference. I suppose it does. If, if the, the guy misses by a pound or two, he's probably tried to make the weight and he hasn't been able to. But if he misses by three or more, he probably hasn't bothered yeah. and <laughs> to deplete his body. That's true. That is true. Um, Miles Johns looked fantastic against Anderson dos Santos. Absolutely destroyed that leg. Uh, the power shots after were beautiful. Dos Santos, he just couldn't move. Uh, took absolutely mad damage and it was a beautiful finish as well with that. Uh, I think it was a right hand over over the top as well. So Miles Johns in that bantamweight division is another one. Uh, Gatto I thought looked very good against Victoria uh, Leonardo and in uh, Johnny Munoz Jr. Um, he got that nice rear naked choke. I think Daniel Carmey did a good job of commentating on this, talking about Simmons going to his knees like a wrestler and that's the wrong move to make because he kind of gave up his back and was... Um, you know, was uh, was choked, and obviously the the Leonardo fight as well. She looked like it broke her arm. There was a doctor stoppage between fights. Doctor stoppage! Doctor stoppage! Doctor stop! There was a doctor stoppage between fights. So yeah, it was uh, a nice performance from Gatto, but Leonardo tough as hell with a broken arm trying to go back out there and fight again. But um, yeah, yeah. Oh my arm's not working. Nah, I can fight yeah, through. Be great, be great. But uh, overall, I thought it was a very good card. In the middle, there was those three decisions or four or five decisions even in a row. But uh, a couple of good fights throughout them. But yeah, 
that that middle part but started very well ended very well as well and uh yeah maybe an under the radar card and one that won't sell very well at all and they may maybe didn't have lots of jeopardy uh in it apart from the the top three fights but um yeah overall pretty good one thing as well uh it was this card wasn't it nico Montano was uh and was it this card or was it last week Montaigne missed weight? I think it was this card, wasn't it? Or no, no, it was it was last one. But anyway, she missed weight for a, a recent card um, and got cut by the UFC. And, and, you know, there was a bit of talk going back and forth. You know, did the UFC do the right thing and stuff? But look, I'm, I'm very much obviously on the fighter's side and very much on giving people chances. And I'm not half as harsh on people for, you know, even missing weight and drug tests and everything like that. But there's only a certain amount of chances the UFC are going to give you and that you can get and that you deserve as well when there's other people uh, preparing Especially to fight when, you. you know, Dana White and looking at it as a business and you're causing these tr problems and you're not putting yeah. bums on seats, you're not selling pay-per-views, you're not selling merchandise, you know what I mean? You're, you're not bringing in enough for them to say, oh, well, okay, we'll give you we'll give you this extra chance. You're just another name on the roster and you, if you keep causing trouble, then, you know, you're gone and it may be harsh. You may think it's harsh, but you kind of brought it on yourself. Yeah, I, I would, I would tend to agree. Yeah. And look, Montano, she has, you know, she has, she was the champion, uh, and she was in a, a great position there. But she kind of threw it all away, and I really don't think there is anyone to blame but her. Unfortunately, now, uh, having said that, I hope all the issues she can get through, and whatever issues she's faced, and she can come back, you know, build her way back up and get to the UFC. But maybe it's a blessing in disguise for her to go out and have less pressure and not have the pressure of the UFC uh, to. Uh, to you know to go forward and uh, and improve in her career and maybe find the weight class and be able to make weight and get regular fights but uh yeah it's obviously a very unfortunate situation but what can you do what really what can you do um right another few things to to uh touch on here uh Kiefer crosby and bellator have parted ways Kiefer put up the post on his instagram um and i confirmed it with uh with bellator that they have uh, gone their their opposite ways i think when Last week when the, the pay packets came out and we saw Kiefer was on 50 grand, I was like, fair play to him in one way. But then I think on the other side, I was like, oh, Jesus, you want to be, you know, if you're getting paid that much, you're going to have to be winning fights, you know, like uh, like the last couple he has. And when you're in a two-fight skid, now I didn't expect him to be caught, but I was thinking maybe his next fight or maybe his next couple of fights, if he was to lose them, it might be an issue. But I'm, I, honestly, I, when I saw it, I was very surprised. Um, but Bellator have been cutting back an awful lot recently, cutting off a lot of people, uh, especially in the European scene. You know, Kiefer put out the statement, says, "Look, he, <laughs> I, I don't know, was it a bit, a bit of sour grapes, maybe, which you couldn't blame him for." But he was like, "I never wanted to be in Bellator anyway. Uh, I want to get to the UFC and I want to to do it the, the kind of the right way and get to the biggest organization in the world." Which, you know is fair play to him I, and i hope he does and i hope he can build his way back up but um what, what was your reaction to to the i know i text you about it and you're a little yeah. bit shocked as well yeah i was surprised but you kind of look back at it now maybe you think maybe that's the reason that he got the caracanian fight they were like you know kind of make or break here you either go out and win this fight or or your cut kind of thing maybe it was what they were thinking because it was a you know a strange kind of matchup to give him coming off a loss um, such a such a obviously experienced and um, difficult matchup, but yeah, even still, I'm just a little bit surprised. But uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be plenty of promotions that Kiefer can go to and you know try and work his way to to the, to the UFC if 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 that's what he wants and that's what he says he wants. So uh, 
obviously it's a lot of money. Uh, he says he didn't want to be in Bellator, but it is also hard to turn down 50 grand a fight when, you know, you're pretty much probably, you know, more. that's more money than you've made in your in your whole career uh, to date. So it's understandable why these guys could go to Bellator if, even when they, they maybe didn't, didn't plan it that way or didn't dream of it that way. But... Yeah, I think I think you know, uh, with different matchups, maybe Kiefer could have been you know have have a better record and be in a better position in Bellator, but it hasn't worked out that way, and it's kind of you know this is the way the cookie crumbles, and you you just got to get on with it. And uh, from a Bellator point of view, you can you can understand that fifty grand for a fight is a lot, especially when you haven't been able to put on the the cards in Ireland that you probably expected to be able to put on and use these guys that have ended up Irish guys that have ended up being caught more uh, more regularly and um, get them to sell tickets and uh, create excitement in, uh, for these big Dublin shows so mm-hmm. it's kind of a maybe a accumulation of, of, of things over the years that have over the last year and a half two years that have caused Kiefer to get caught here I think yeah. if all this all this stuff hadn't happened it, maybe it would have been a different story oh, I, I 100% agree I, I still think even it, it is a bit odd timing considering they're looking at doing a card in Dublin in November now whether that card happens or not is down to obviously fucking Leo Redcourt and Michal Martin probably more than more than Scott yeah. Cook it's probably a sign that maybe they think it might not be happening yeah like, they might have held on to him a little longer if uh, if uh, they were confident in it. Yeah, may- maybe, maybe. But I, I I still think they're kind of waiting to hear. And I, I don't think there's a decision made on that. Or I certainly haven't heard one yet. But, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of Irish fighters. You know, it's even like the likes of Will Flory and Richie Smullen and different people have been released from Bellator. And, you know, Richard Kiley and loads more. And, you know, Paul Redmond was there at one stage. And, you know, Norman Park had a cup of coffee there and stuff. But I think Norman's maybe a different case. But, you know, Ireland is their strongest market, probably. You know, America included nearly. They can go to Ireland every time and sell out a card. And, you know, there's less and less, you know, with James Galler, obviously, and um, Sinead Kavanagh is, um, uh, how should I put it, Graham, in, in the midst of a big fight, I suppose. And uh, hopefully there will be there will be news on that huge fight uh, very, very soon. But, um, yeah, I think... Um, wonder, wonder who that could be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm sure she has her <coughs> eye on someone, uh, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see how uh, let's see how that goes. But uh, yeah, look, Kiefer, I- I'd love to see him in cage warriors. To be honest, it's a pity Ian Gary has gone to uh, the UFC. Kiefer versus Ian Gary. I know Kiefer's gone down to one fifty five at the moment, but you know, there's uh, I-, I I know with the whole John Cavanaugh and Graham Boylan SBG thing, maybe cage warriors isn't the path. But I know you know John Cavanaugh has said before that. If it's the right path for a fighter to go into cage wires, you know, he'd have no problem sending a fighter there. Well, you know, Kiefer Crosby has said in his message, the path he wants to take is the path to the UFC. So there you go. And you know, actually, I think Kiefer as well. I think the contender series would suit Kiefer very well because if he got in there and he someone with maybe you know a striking advantage over, I could see him getting a big finish and uh, getting into the UFC and maybe exciting people. So, but I think. You know, we spoke about it la- two weeks ago, whenever it was, when Kiefer fought, and we talked about, like, that being a learning fight and him coming back and having, you know, five, six, seven fights to get to the very top again. Maybe he would be better off having them in somewhere like a Cage Warriors or in the local scene. So, well, maybe not the local scene, but maybe in a Brave or somewhere like that. Um to to earn that way but i, I you know if i was, do you think though going from 50 grand a fight to whatever you know a grand or two a fight yeah if even yeah it's, it's a big it's a big uh <laughs> it's a big pay cut it is but 
the, the problem with that is you either right you have two options here right you you want to get to the UFC right or you want I think the, the best way to get to the UFC is with good matchmaking over the next five or six fights. And the person I would be looking for to get me good matchmaking is Ian Dean, to be honest. I, I, you could go to Brave, but you might be fucking thrown to the Wolves and get a UFC-level fight in your first fight in Brave and then get the same in the second fight as well. And what position are you in then? I, you know, I would uh, I would trust Ian Dean. I would back myself if I was Kiefer Crosby because I know Kiefer Crosby has the ability and he has the skills. Um, it's just putting it together and getting that experience and getting to the next level. And you know, he's over and did a bit of training with James Krause as well. And you know, I'm not saying Kiefer has every skill or is the best in the world or anything, but he has a good athletic base and some good skills to you know to work on and to get to a level where he is good enough to you know stay in the UFC or somewhere like that. Uh, and I think, you know, Cage Warriors could be that move. But I, I think that's probably unlikely to happen. But uh, we shall uh, we shall wait and see how that works out anyway. Um, no UFC next week. But we do have a couple of cards. I was watching uh, Bellator 264 next week. John Salter versus Gegard Mousasi. Watching a couple of Salter fights last night in, in kind of in the middle of the UFC. Uh, especially Castillo Van Steena's fight. I think he struggled on the feet. You know, is good pushing you against the cage. Some good takedowns and things like that. But I think Musasi will just be too much for him. Um, and I think Musasi, like Musasi, is very good wrestler as well. We sometimes we kind of forget it, but I think on the outside he will kind of just uh, just maybe touch him up a little bit and and make it make it an easy fight over five rounds. But Salter is tough. Don't think he's the best cardio in the world, so maybe a decision or a late stoppage there for Musasi. And there's some other good fights in this as well. Uh, Kareshkov, who was obviously a dominant champion for a while against Sabah Humasi. Uh, Magomed Magomedov against Rafion Stotts. That was supposed to happen, I think, in the last card. But you have 18-1 and one versus 16-1 and one there at Bantamweight. So that's a fantastic fight. Um, and you have some others as well down through uh, this card. Uh, so, yeah, look forward to that one. And PFL also have a card. Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper in the main event. That one is has fucking banger written all over it. I love that fight. Um, Magomed, Magomed Karimov as well against uh, Sadabu Sai in the 170-pound division. Uh, we have Thibaut against Melinda. We have, uh, you know, Clay Collard is on this card against, against uh, as well against Hausch. Uh, Mafio and uh, Daryl Harcher on the card against Olivier Barnmercia. So... No, not not a bad card. Two two relatively good cards from Bellator and PFL next week as well. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about them and the chasing pack with myself and Ian. And uh, next week as well, Graham. Uh, whenever we decide to uh, to do the old podcast, so yeah, that's that. Um, and any last words, Graham? Any any parting words for us here as we pass the hour? Um, no, I was thinking that we should we should get on that uh the Premier League preview podcast oh, for, yeah. for Patreon. We're running out of running out of time now. It's, the season's crept up on a we crept are. up on me a little bit. Liverpool and, uh, haven't only... Liverpool haven't done much, have they? Bought the no, Canate, yeah, that's that's that seems to be it so far. And losing obviously Genie Wine Aldum from the midfield is a is a big deal. Obviously there's a lot of people coming back from injuries, but you look at how other teams around have strengthened and you're you're hoping maybe there might be some. I don't think. I don't think so. But I'm hoping Messi. there might be some late arrivals. Bring in Messi. Did you take him? No, no. I destroyed a wage budget. The, the wage structure and it's just no. I think. Uh, I think. You know, PSG, Man City are the only 
two teams who can afford to do that and Barcelona can afford to do that but they still might do it I think yeah I, I think they might as well did you hear uh, your man on off the ball talking about that I was like oh Jesus yeah it's probably uh, no probably, no no yeah, your man Graham Hunter was on he was like this is just a power play to get La Liga to change their rules so that they'll be able to pay Messi but it, it actually yeah, does until look I see like him in another shit. jersey running around registered yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna believe it to be honest me neither yeah, but look isn't weird that people are like turning down Messi he was like nah I don't want Messi <laughs> <laughs> well, like, are you going to pay him, like, fucking 500,000 a minute or something? And, you know what I mean? And he's, yeah. yeah. But sure, Liverpool have Diogo Jota anyway, and the way they act about him is fucking better than Messi, so it'd be grand. Diogo Jota, the most overrated player fucking what, what, since I don't know why you, you, you always choose the, the strangest players to, to hate on. Like, and, uh, I don't know how many winner, winning goals Jota scored last season for Liverpool when they badly needed them in a horrendous season and kept us alive at the start of the season before getting injured. And he's just came a back slow Dan James. That's when he, when, literally when he was injured Liverpool couldn't win a game and when he came back when he when he was playing at the start when he came back Liverpool went on good good uh, winning streaks and ended up taking third you know so you obviously kinda, it was uh, are you kind of sad you haven't been able to cash in on Salah I think like this was probably the no, summer no, I, no I definitely wouldn't want to let Salah go um I don't know. I think last season he he, he really stepped up to the, to the plate when everything around him was falling apart. Obviously, Bobby Firmino was completely out of form all season. Mane was completely out of form pretty much all season after he got COVID. Uh, Jota was injured a lot, so I think Salah is too important to let go. Uh, just I think. I think like the way sports gone, these guys that used to be kind of you know coming towards the end of their career at 30, 31 kind of thing. Now they have a couple extra years just due to how they take care of themselves, nutrition, stuff like that. You know, I think players like you know Ronaldo and um, Messi probably would have been like finished by now with the amount of football they've played back in years ago, but they still got years in them. I think the way the understanding of the body and nutrition and how to take care of yourself and then the the drinking culture that used to be around football is completely gone bar you know a few players it's like it's a notable exception if, if somebody's a, a drunk back in the day it was everybody was a drunk yeah. so i think a lot of things have moved on and extended careers and i think i think uh we'll start to see more of that now like i think maybe letting one album go you know if we could have made him agree to a two-year contract i know he's played a lot of football and a lot of minutes and he's getting on but i think to that point I just made, I think maybe he has a couple more years of, of top-level football in him. Yeah, I always like Mayanaldum, even when he was at Newcastle and stuff, but yeah. Look, that, I suppose that's an interim soccer podcast, and we will do a, a full one during, during the week at some stage, so sign up, patreon.com forward slash Severe My Podcast, and you can hear myself and Graham argue about Man United and Liverpool and stuff like that. Uh, right, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all next time. Good luck.